Max Reaper, their editor of Royals Review. Joining me as usual is uh, Sean Newkirk. Sean, how are you doing today? Good. I'm good. I'm, I'm not going to cheat on this episode, I promise. <laughs> no cheating allowed on this episode. Also here to discuss cheating and other things is Matthew Lamar. Matthew, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank one Ryan Griffith. Ryan Griffith is a photographer um, who f- uh, photographs a lot of Wilmington Blue Rock stuff. Um, about, oh, I don't know, last summer, I asked him if he had any pictures of some of the young Royals prospects. Um, and there's one picture in particular. It's a great picture of Brady Singer, uh, Daniel Lynch, and Jackson Kawar walking on the baseball field that we've used like eight times. <laughs> and I would just like to thank Ryan Griffith for allowing us to use that photo again and again and again and again. We have gotten a lot of mileage out of that. It's, it's always interesting, like with, with prospects, uh, it's a real challenge to find any suitable image for the article because there frankly aren't a lot of, we, we get a library, we license photos through Getty and USA Today, and they don't take a lot of pictures of minor leaguers. So we kind of struggle finding appropriate images. Usually it's like a pile of baseballs or a, a radar gun or something like that. Uh, but for, luckily we do have, of course, a, ph- a photographer on staff who, uh, Minda Haas-Kuhlman, who gets a lot of great photos from the Omaha Storm Chasers. The lower minors, we usually have to ask permission. And fortunately, Ryan Griffith was uh, nice enough to, to grant us permission to use his image. And, and uh, it, it's, a, it's actually a really cool image because all three of those guys could end up being uh, pretty special pictures. So, yeah, we've, we have got a lot of mileage out of that. Well, as we kind of uh, referenced at the top, uh, there is a cheating scandal in baseball, uh, and I think we're going to jump right into that. Uh, Major League Baseball completed its, its investigation of the Houston Astros this week uh, as, as, uh, about allegations that they were stealing signs using electronic methods. Uh, these date back to, um, you know, there's been kind of whispers about the Astros, I think, for a couple of years now. But Mike Fires, a former pitcher for the Astros, kind of brought those allegations to light with um, kind of on the record uh, admissions uh, with uh, Kevin, uh, Ken Rosenthal and Evan Drylick of The Athletic in that he kind of talked about how they would use a, a uh, video replay uh, personnel to watch the live feed of the game and look and try to decode. Uh, signals that were that were put down by the catcher, and then they would relay those signals to the dugout, where they would uh, then relay those uh, that uh, the pitch sequence, whatever pitch it was, by banging a trash can, and they would signal that to the hitter to let him know what pitch was coming. Uh, and Major League Baseball decided to investigate, and they got uh, a lot of admissions, and they found that uh, the Astros were indeed stealing signs. So uh, the punishments came down. This week, general manager Jeff Luno suspended for the entire 2020 season. Manager A.J. Hinch also suspended for the entire 2020 season. Uh, Bench coach Alex Cora uh, was also part of this scheme, and he is still under investigation for his role as uh, uh, as for possible signs dealing with the Boston Red Sox when he was manager of the Red Sox. Uh, So that's uh, his 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 suspension is still pending that investigation. But Luno, Hinch and Cora have all been uh, dismissed from their positions uh, Matthew, I guess we'll start with you. It's, it's, it seems like, I mean, a pretty devastating scandal for baseball, and I'm not sure we are at the bottom yet. I mean, it seems like every day we're getting more and more information. Uh, there's been players on social media that have said, yeah, this is much more widespread than even uh, the Astros, and um, now there's kind of accusations going left and right. I guess what was, what was kind of your initial reaction to what Major League Baseball found and the punishments they uh, they levied out. Yeah, it's, a, it's you know, there's there's a lot to really think about regarding this. There's 
there's a lot. Um, I thought the punishment, you know, one of my um, things about, um, you know, sports discourse is that if there are, if both sides or if the two sides of a, um, you know, disagreement or an issue are both unhappy at it, it's probably pretty fair. Um, and so I've seen a lot of stuff from Masters fans who are like, this is ridiculous. And I've seen a lot of stuff from other people being like, this is not nearly enough. So I think they probably settled on the right amount. Uh, the the one thing that everyone pretty much agrees upon is ridiculous is the $5 million fine, which mm-hmm. was the maximum that they could levy under uh, the current articles of agreement between, you know, whatever. But it's the maximum amount they could do. And so that's what they did. But it's, you know, it's just, you know, for these billionaires, five million dollars is is you know money you lose on the couch. Um, so that that part's kind of funny, but it, it was the max that they could do. I you know it is what it is. Um, but it's really it's really interesting, and you're right. I think that this is going to continue to unfold, and there's going to be a lot of you know turns left and right in this um, sort of mess. One of the things that you do mention is that there's multiple teams involved. Um, and that's probably too, you know, the Boston Red Sox have been accused of it. The Houston Astros obviously are the sort of the face of it, but I don't think it's going to stop, you know, where the Astros are. I don't think the Astros are the only team in baseball. And the reason why this sort of, if you believe everyone that this has been happening for years and people have been using technology to cheat the system, why hasn't it, you know, come to light yet? Well, it's because a whole bunch of players and coaches and front office people have their hands dirty and i think the astros thing was just sort of the tip of the iceberg um they were the most blatant in doing doing this you know um after the you know the drum banging thing happened there were plenty of people you know looking around to see if any other weird stuff was going on and to my knowledge there's not really anything as you know, obvious as that. So we'll see where it goes, but it's it, one thing is for certain. It's, it's a huge deal. Like we're going to be looking back at this in like 30 years being like, that was, you know, that's a big deal. Like this could reach black socks level of, you know, scandal. And we don't know what the effects of this are going to be until, you know, decades down the line. But I really do think that this is one of the biggest events in baseball, certainly since the steroid, you know, era and the 2003 the Mitchell report and all that certainly since then and maybe before then it's it's a really big deal yeah I mentioned that Hinch and Cora already lost their jobs uh, as manager also caught in I guess part of this as well as Carlos Beltran who is the only player mentioned in the report uh, as one of the kind of ringleaders of the scheme and he was dismissed as manager of the Mets before even managing a game with them um, so you know this is and you you know you talk about other teams being involved and I wonder if this gets to be a situation where if we do find many teams were involved with this, do we have a number of managers suspended for an entire season? And Sean, you know, it was kind of interesting. Luno lost his job. MLB found that there was conflicting evidence that he knew about it. There was he did receive two emails that said that mentioned the scheme, but there's no direct evidence that he talked about it or discussed it with anyone. Manager AJ Hinch actually disapproved of the scheme. But he didn't do much to stop it. He did at one point destroy two monitors. But he didn't tell his team to stop. He didn't bring it to anyone's attention. He kind of just let it fester on. Uh, and But regardless, despite not being involved directly in the scheme, I guess, uh, both of those, player, both of those uh, people were, were suspended for an entire season. But none of the players were uh, reprimanded or punished at all. Um, some people, 
uh, there's been some reports. I don't think any hard reporting yet that there possibly was uh, there possibly were some um, uh, immunity given by Major League Baseball to players just to get them to talk and uh, confess to what they did. Also, some people speculate that perhaps the union would raise too much of a stink if they actually levied uh, harsh uh, enforcements against the players. So. What's your kind of opinion on what what the suspension you know what was Major League Baseball fair to Luno and and Hinch and and I guess you know Cora as well if he gets suspended as well and should the players have gotten uh, more of a punishment than they got? Yeah, I mean it's it's essentially just lack of institutional control, right? Um, I think if I thought of it when I just as kind of you were describing, then I was thinking of. Um, and I'm not here to – I can't think of what I'm thinking of, but I'm not here to say – to, like, complain or make light of, uh, like, rich millionaire CEOs. But part of the reason why CEOs get paid so much is because if something goes wrong in the company, it's their fault. doesn't matter if they had nothing to do with it. If you look at, like, the Wells Fargo checking scandal um, from maybe a year or two or three ago, the CEO had basically absolutely no idea it was going on, but he gets fired. And, that's, and that makes sense because it's a lack of institutional control. Same thing, even if Lunau maybe didn't know all the ins and outs about it, and um, or same thing with Hinch, where even he knew about it but didn't discourage it enough or didn't stop it, the lack of control of essentially their employees is a fundamental issue. And because they didn't know or they did nothing about it, that's an issue at stake. And that's one that is, is fireable. Um, if your employees are essentially not committing crimes, but the, the analogy would be to committing crimes, but breaking the rules and you don't know about it, that's just about as bad as them breaking the rules and you do knowing about it because you don't have institutional controls. Um, I do think the players should have been punished more, but I don't know I don't know what the language is in the CBA that says if players can be punished for something like this or not. Um, you know, obviously the general managers are part of the CBA or they don't they're not part of the LBPA. Um, and so, you know, that makes sense, but yeah, I mean, I, I would, they can't suspend players because obviously not only that hurts, you know, if, if one of the, if one of the players was on a different team and he got suspended, well, that punishes the team that signed them as opposed to the Astros. So a fine would have made sense. And, and I thought we would see that, but, um, you know, I, I thought the players should have got a little brunt of it because, you know, they were executing the the cheating and they knew about it um even if you know there needs to be some capable uh, some culpability with them yeah and i don't expect like every single player that was involved with this to get punished necessarily i mean like if some scrub at the end of the bench was getting tipped off on a pitch i mean you know what's he really is he really going to turn that down you know when everyone else on this team is <clears throat> is kind of going along with it not that that's you know a, a, an excuse uh, to, to absolve him, but but uh, you know I think that's a little bit different situation than like the ringleaders who are you know bench coach Alex Cora, Carlos Beltran, uh, probably some of the more veteran guys, or at least the star players on that team. Um, so you know I I do think the people that were responsible for putting the scheme together, and the report's pretty clear it was a player driven scheme. It wasn't something that like you know Luna or Hinch obviously put together. This is something the players and Cora, Alex Cora, kind of put together on their own. Uh, I do, do feel like the people that were involved with getting this together should be punished in some way. Uh, and I don't, I guess I don't see why you couldn't get suspended for this. Um, my guess yeah. is they did, they did get uh, some sort of immunity in exchange for testimony because major league baseball want to find out now, whether or not that happens with the Red Sox or their other investigations, if they <coughs> conduct other investigations, I mean, we'll have to see um, what, what rules did this violate? Was this a violation of the spirit of the game? Like in a CBA clause? Cause I mean, 
I don't think there's anywhere in the MLB it's, rule book as far as the rules of the games go that it was like you can't do this, right? Yeah, it was like a directive. Uh, it was like a regulation they issued in, I think, 2017 that said, okay. you know, look, we can't – because I think there were starting to be whispers about, you know, teams doing this, teams using electronics to steal signs. Now, sign stealing's always been kind of part right. of the game, right? Like, yeah. like if you're at second base and you can read the catcher's signs – and you can relay that back to the hitter. That's fine. That's always been kind of a, a frowned upon but accepted part of the baseball. What is against the rules is actually using electronics and video technology, a camera in center field to kind of spy on the catcher signs, decode them, and then relay that quickly to the hitter in order for the hitter to know what's coming. And I think that's been something that baseball uh, really wanted to crack down upon in, in 2017 because there were a lot of accusations of teams, you know, teams doing this. I mean, the Royal, remember the Royals in 2015 it was when they got into a spat with the Blue Jays and they kind of accused the Blue Jays of having you know a man in center field that was relaying signs to them. Uh, so it's, this is something that's been kind of accused, uh, you know, part of the accusations of baseball for a long time. Uh, but the electronics and using video feeds. I think it brings a whole new aspect to it. And Matthew, like, what, you know, obviously this, the the, the punishments met, uh, levied out this week should be somewhat of a deterrent, but it doesn't necessarily mean this will automatically stop. I know baseball this year put a eight-second delay on in-stadium video feeds in an attempt to try to stop teams from being able to watch the feed and relay signs immediately. They've also talked about maybe using elect- uh, using technology to have the pitcher and catcher communicate some, somehow electronically so that we don't have to have a catcher, a catcher putting down signs that anyone could see. What's kind of your, you know, is this something we can actually curb? Is this something that we should curb? Is this something that, um, you know, we can, uh, you know, what should exactly should baseball do to, to kind of take care of the situation? Yeah, you're right. It is tricky. And I, I, I do think that there is a distinction here. Um, stealing signs is basically akin to like if you're a football team, you're reading the defense and you looked at film and you're like, okay, this is what they do here. And then, you know, you, you have a big play because you've studied well and you can, you know, find it out on yourself. Or if the defense is just not smart enough to disguise what they're doing, you know, that's, that's on them. Right. And it's on you for really, you know, being smart about it. But the difference here with the sign stealing is akin to, you know, breaking into the other team's, like, uh, training facility and stealing pages out of their, you know, playbook. Um, It's an additional thing that constitutes an act of going above and beyond the rules, and it's it's a, a voluntary act of cheating, basically, of trying to get an advantage that, um, in fair play, is not supposed to be there. Um, and depending on the rules, maybe expressly, you know, Ill- illegal. So that that I think is the difference. I've seen a lot of, you know, a lot of people have been like, oh, you know, what's the big deal? People sign steal anyway. You know, the voluntary act of going above and beyond and doing it, that really matters. You know, um, that's that's cheating. That is getting an unfair advantage, um, and it's it's not in the best interest of the sport. Whereas if you sign steal. You know the traditional means, um, and the other team is sloppy about it. Well, that's you know sort of the best interest in the sport too. You know, as a team, you want to disguise your your signs, um, and if you don't do a good job of it, that's on you. So that distinction is really important. Um, but as as for you know, if baseball can totally curb it, probably not. 
you know, people are going to be, uh, there's so much money in baseball that people will always try to get advantages where other teams are not getting those advantages. But on the other hand, I think that it's a serious enough issue, both within baseball and in, you know, the sport world in general, um, that I think that this particular issue may be not something that we have to worry about it for a while because it's just a really hot topic, you know, um, I, 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 I can't imagine what it's like in like the sort of baseball fraternity among these people who other players know have been doing this and have been giving them all a bad name. You know, I can't imagine what that that's like. I think the peer pressure is going to be really high not to do this. Um, and it'll be really interesting to see what happens, you know, as the Astros go around to other stadiums this year and how the announcers handle it and how the players handle it. It's, it's going to be really interesting. And I think the sort of peer pressure alone and self-regulation might be enough to keep it away. But also, people are just, like I said earlier, players, coaches, front office members, they're going to do what they can to get an advantage because there's so much money in there. And if you get an advantage, you make more money and you win more games. Yeah, and I think we've already started to see, like on social media, some of the players responding. And it's almost like baseball is just kind of turning on itself. Like everyone's trying to rat each other out now. I mean, um, you know, a lot of, obviously a lot of players around baseball are really upset with the Astros, really upset that, you know, the players haven't been punished. Um, but I, you know, I think, I wonder if there's going to be more to come. I mean, I know, uh, you know, there's a pitching coach, Jeff Jones, has accused the Brewers. I think Logan Morrison, uh, who's from Kansas City has accused the, uh, he says he has firsthand knowledge of not only the Astros and Red Sox, but the Yankees and Dodgers stealing signs as well. So I wonder how much more there's going to be. There was a, 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 a Twitter user that claims to be Carlos Beltran's niece, uh, who has said that uh, Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman were using buzzers underneath their jersey that were signaling electronic kind of buzzes uh, when a certain pitch was coming. And others have pointed out, that after he had a game-winning home run in the ALCS and was circling the bases, Jose Altuve kind of yelled at his teammates not to rip off his jersey. Ken Rosenthal even asked him about it in a post-game interview, and he kind of laughed and said, what? And then uh, kind of nervously gave an answer, oh, my wife didn't want my jersey to get ripped off, and which doesn't really quite make sense. Um, there's also kind of a clip of George Springer after a game-winning home run doing the same thing, telling him not to rip off his jersey. Now everyone's... It's, it's kind of like everyone's looking at Astro footage now, like the Zapruder film. Like uh, there's a clip of JJ, uh, Josh Reddick uh, with what looks like uh, something taped to his chest in a post-game interview. And people are like, is that confetti or is that a buzzer? And, and uh, you know, there's all sorts of just accusations now. And, and look, the Astros have lost the benefit of the doubt. But, Sean, I mean, is this – how much further is this going to go? I mean, is this going to turn into a situation where just no one is assumed to be innocent anymore? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I don't know. I, I'm already burnt out. I feel like I'm already burnt out about it already. Like, okay, obviously they were cheating. More evidence comes in. It doesn't change anything. We know they're cheating. You know, like a like a murder case. If it's if if we convict the guy of murder and keep Evans coming in saying, "Oh, he did it," it's like, okay, we got it. We know they did it. <laughs> um, and so I don't know. I mean, I, like I I don't know what else is going to come from this. I do I do think some players need to be culpable and need to be in some trouble of some capacity. Maybe not suspensions, but they need to be fined. Um, and 
you, you know, it's very, very hard at this point. If you're an Astros fan, if you're in the Astros player, an Astro front office, if you have any association with the Astros, it's very, very hard at this point to say that they were innocent. And even back, even back in like November or whenever when this first started to break, it seemed pretty obvious they were doing something. But now it's like, okay, they've basically admitted guilt. They've been investigated, got found out, effectively admitted guilt, and now more evidence is coming in. It's just. I'm over with it, but you know it's clear they cheated. Uh, you know, I, I I don't know if anything else comes of it, but the verdict's already been decided, right? Yeah, and we've talked a little bit about I guess the punishment for the players and and Luno and Hinch. We haven't really talked about the punishment for the team. Um, uh, you know, they did have to forfeit first round picks yeah. in 2020, 2021, second round picks as well in those years. You mentioned the five million dollar fine before, which is the max they can be fined. But some people have suggested perhaps that they should have to vacate their title from 2017, Matthew. That seems, I think, a, a little bit of a bridge too far for me. I mean, I don't like the, the NCAA vacates titles. I think it's kind of like, oh, let's all pretend that what we saw, you know, last year didn't actually happen, and that team didn't actually win a championship. And honestly, we, you know, we don't know how much the Astros are helped by this. Obviously, they were a good team already. Um, you know, I don't know why they felt the need to cheat in addition to being very good, but but they did. Uh, and we don't, and you know, from from baseball's report, they didn't do this in the postseason because Major League Baseball had too much personnel kind of watching for it. Um, so it was it was something they kind of you know supposedly abandoned in the postseason. So I don't know as as an organization, should the Astros organization have been punished more? And, and how do you think we should look at their title? I think well, I th- I think you know the punishment as an organization was was pretty fair. I mean, you think about. The um, you know reputation hits that everyone involved um, you know uh, is as it, it's a big deal, and I it'll be really interesting to see if either Corey or Luno or um, you know Belturn or anybody else gets another job in baseball. Like it's that big of a deal. Um, they obviously shouldn't vacate the title because you're right. I think that's that's stupid. They won they won the title. We don't know to what extent you know, factored into it, you know, in the steroid era, people were taking steroids and not everyone was, but a lot of people were, and there weren't any titles vacated because X amount of team took more steroids than the other, you know, it's, it's the cat's out of the bag at that point. What do you think, Sean? Should the Astros have to uh, bring down their championship flag from 2017? No, I'm with you on the whole, I don't, yeah, right. I don't like how the NCAA vacates titles either. Um, I forget, did, did the Black Sox win that World Series, or did they lose? No, they it? lost to the Reds. Yeah, right. That's what I thought. Okay, I was thinking. I know that they went to whatever deep into the series, and I they 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 gave up the last game, right? I mean, okay. Um, yeah, I don't care about the the vacation of it. I don't think I don't think that's going to matter at all. Um, and you know, not that it's that's also a punishment to not only just the players. And the front and like Lunau and Hinch, but a lot of the front office folks um, as well, who you know might not have anything to do with it. So I don't think that I don't think the vacation vacating the titles yeah is is useful is useful. Yeah, I think everyone kind of understands that there's always going to be some taint to that title anyway. I mean, like there's an asterisk yeah, by it right. a little bit. Well, that's kind of how Barry I feel. Bonds is, Barry Bonds is the home run record, right? And it's not as if right. Um, you know, everybody knows that there's an asterisk by it, or they consider I don't care, but most people think like, oh, there's an asterisk, but the the record still stands. Right. It's it's still. I mean, we can't pretend like those things didn't happen, but we should also look at the context of like, yeah, they they 
cheated, at least during the regular season. And there's always going to be a little bit of doubt as to whether they won that. I mean, of course, there is, there's a lot of doubt as to whether they won that title legitimately, but it did happen. And I don't think we can really erase that from the record books. Um, and like you said, it, 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 there, there may be some people that didn't know about it in the, in the organization. Who knows? Uh, we don't want to unfairly punish them. But, uh, but yeah, it's definitely a... A severe black eye to baseball. And Matthew, you wrote a little bit about kind of the Royals in contrast to the Astros uh, and, and winning with integrity. You want to talk about that article a little bit? Yeah, I, you know, one of Dayton Moore's big things is he's always, you know, on not just playing baseball well, but being good people, being, you know, morally right, um, being, having integrity. And, you know, I, I think it's fair to criticize Moore for, uh, for a lot of things, really, but this, this, um, you know, asterisk scandal, whatever it's going to get called, I have no intention of adding gate to the end of it. <laughs> um, maybe asterisk fence, whatever. Um, it's it sort of highlights how important it is to have an organization that wins with, um, you know, with integrity. Because you look back at the Royals' run and everyone in baseball, Royals fans, Royals players, everyone can feel good about what they did. Um, and, you know, really proud of it and happy that it happened. Um, but the Astros, you know, for how good they've been, no matter how good they've been, you know, how much of how, how much progress they made in analytics and how they rebuilt the organization and how it's just really a well-run organization, I think it's always going to have just a little, it's just going to feel a little dirty. Like, yeah, the Astros won, but, mm. and that's a, that, you know, when, so much of sports is just talking crap to other sports fans and, you know, reminiscing and stuff that really matters. You know, it matters that there was cheating involved. And I think it changes everyone's perception of it from Astros fans to, uh, you know, sports fans. So I, I, you know, was, was thankful that the Royals, you know, as led by Dayton Moore are, you know, an organization with integrity because, I don't feel that way about the 2014, 2015 teams. I feel really great about them and I feel confident I'm going to be, you know, feel great about it. And that, you know, integrity matters. Now I, I do think that Dayton Moore could run the team better in other, you know, in other manners, but you know, integrity, integrity is important. And to something that you mentioned earlier, you know, about uh, Ludo getting, getting fired, even though he didn't have a huge involvement in it, you know, and I, and I mentioned it in the piece, is that the Astros looking to squeeze every little bit of, uh, of advantage is a feature of the team and not a bug. So the culture that resulted in this uh, in the scandal was a feature of the culture and not just, oh, it just happened. It's, this is what happens when top to bottom your organization is all about squeezing as much uh, efficiency and value as it can out of every little single thing. And so, you know, for that, you know, Luna was Luna was uh, culpable for. To add a point to what uh, what Matt was saying was that um, I wouldn't say it's unfortunate, but a potential side effect of this whole issue is that it's going to perhaps taint some of the stuff that the Astros have done since 2013 or whatever you want to call it when the rebuild started. That all the analytical um, revolution and how you know how far on that curve that they've been uh, in kind of this Moneyball era, the newer Moneyball era and the, you know, revolution of, uh, with baseball analytics, that's going to be tainted a bit now because they were caught cheating. But 
we've come through a breakthrough point over the past few years that has just shown just how the game has changed. And, you know, it's unfortunate a side effect of that is this cheating scandal, which um, doesn't, you know, thankfully, or at least it shouldn't impact the changes that we've made in baseball over the few years. In a small way, too, the Royals, I think, are they're they're kind of responsible for this all right because if the royals don't defeat the astros in kind of soul-crushing manner in 2015 the astros probably don't you know that 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 could have very well been the catalyst for the astros to say look if the, if we can't beat the royals and their old school ways we have to resort to cheating to win and so that's maybe that's why they decided to start uh start cheating at that point uh because the royals the royals bested them in 2015 so uh, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll talk. We'll catch up a little bit on Royals news and talk about, hey, that other team across the parking lot having some success as well. Last week, Jorge Soler signed a one-year, seven-point-three million-dollar contract to avoid arbitration. He was the only arbitration case the Royals potentially had this off-season after they came to terms with Mike Montgomery earlier this off-season. Um, Soler, the Royals will have the rights to Soler for not only 2020 but 2021 as well as he won't be eligible for free agency until after that 2021 season. But it was only a one-year deal. And, Sean, some people were kind of expecting the Royals to maybe go to a long-term deal with Jorge Soler. Uh, considering, you know, the kind of season he had last year, do you see uh, any kind of long-term deal uh, between Soler and the Royals? You know, that's a good question. Uh, first off, I want to say how hilarious it is that Soler signs – a nine was it a nine-year contract? I want to say, when he was whatever it was eighteen or nineteen, <laughs> and he's still not a free agent. Anyways, poor guy. Uh, I just thinking if if you sign a nine-year deal, you probably expect to not be arb eligible at at the end of it for another additional two years. Um, so as far as a long-term deal goes, I mean, yeah, if they had interest, and uh, it's pretty much it's kind of. If the Dayton Moore has two specialties, he's got the mutual option, and then he's got that like faux extension, but it's really just to buy out the Arbiers kind of thing that he does. Like I think they did that two-year deal with Hosmer um, that just basically buys two years of arbitration just right up front. Um, and so I was more expecting to see that than a one-year deal. I don't know as far as what their game plan is, if because you would think if they had intentions of keeping them, they wouldn't have just on a one-year deal with them, they would have worked out a multi-year deal. But I'm also thinking that maybe Solaire wasn't interested in a multi-year deal now that he's so close to free agency um, that maybe he thinks he can repeat the year he had and then, you know, he would be guaranteed a, another nice arbitration raise automatically. And then, you know, again, he would have to go essentially two years worth of health, which has been an issue for him, and continuing the kind of breakout performance he had. So he's risking a bit. Um, but I think I maybe see it as him because he'll be 28, right? Am I think is that right? How old is he going to be next year? Yeah, he'll so be 28. He's uh, he turns 20, uh, 28 in uh, next in next month. So he'll be 28 okay. this season, 29 once he hits free agency. Yeah, so he would hit free agency at yeah, call it 29 or 30. Um, so I think maybe that's the idea too. I think maybe it wasn't just a, a Royals thing. I think maybe Solaire also is thinking like, hey, I'm very close to free agency. I just you know came off a nine-year deal essentially um i'm ready to you know this is probably going to be my last contract as, as far as when he hits free agency that's going to be his big thing so i wonder if he's holding out for that yeah i, I kind of think this is more uh solaire not wanting to kind of lock himself with the royals i mean he 
he is coming off a career season. He had, you know, led the league in home runs last year. He's betting on himself. I think he can afford to bet on himself. I mean, he's made like $20 million with his contract already. It's right. not like yeah, he's a guy yeah. that's like, oh, I need to cash in now. I mean, he, he can kind of afford to say, okay, well, let's see how things play out. You know, he's pretty much guaranteed to make uh, 7 to $10 million next year, even you know, yeah. unless he like blow out, blows out his knee for, and his, his career's over. And, then and he, he gets probably, non-tender. Like that'd yeah, be the only way. The only way, way right? he can non tender diff is like there's like he's not gonna play in two thousand twenty one. Uh and then, you know, even after free agency, you know, even if he has a bad year, he's probably still gonna get like a one year, like six million dollar deal from someone just out of the potential that he was a home run, you know, title winner at one point. So you know, he's probably you know, by the time he hits free agency, he's gonna make, you know, close to thirty million dollars. He can probably, you know, try to bank on making a you know, fifty million dollar deal or a sixty million dollar deal like Edwin Encarnacion got from the Indians a couple years ago. Um, but you know, who knows? And I think, and, and another factor, the Royals stink and they're going to stink in 2020. Yeah. They're probably going to be bad in 2021. Does he really want to sign up for, I mean, who knows when the rebuild is done? Does he really want to sign up? You know, maybe his age, 28, 29, 30, 31 years of being on a bad team when yeah. he's fairly close to getting out of, you know, Kansas city in that sense. Yeah. No, you know, if you're, an immigrant from Cuba too is Kansas City really where you want to spend the next you know three or four years of your career maybe I don't know uh, you know I like Kansas City and I've I have no problems living here but uh, if you're not from here if you're from a more tempered yeah. climate maybe you uh, look out the window today and see it's 15 degrees and you don't you disagree with that um, if they do if the yeah, Royals Kend- go ahead I was gonna say Kendry Morales had to break his leg celebrating to sign here otherwise <laughs> he would have gone somewhere else yeah he was like a Cuban. You know, Matthew, if if the Royals were to kind of look at signing Soler long term, and there was kind of a template set, I guess this week as well, earlier last week uh, as well, the Twins signed Miguel Sano to a three-year contract ex- extension for thirty million dollars with a option year that will pay him fourteen million dollars. Sano had a he's a little bit younger than than Soler, I think a year younger than Soler, uh, had a pretty similar season to Soler, not not as many home runs, but but a pretty close o- OPS. In fact, their OPS is almost identical. Uh, Solero is 9.22. Sano is 9.23. So that maybe, you know, that could kind of set a template if the Royals were looking to sign Solero. But should they be looking to sign Solero to an extension? Uh, You know, he has kind of a spotty track record as far as health. He really hadn't put together a a really solid season until this year. Is he a guy the Royals should be competing, you know, $30, $40 million to? I think um, I I am one of two minds on Solaire. I would I would like them to either extend him or trade him. And in typical Royals fashion, they are uh, doing neither of those things uh, at the moment. Um, I think uh, you know to be fair, uh, there's still time to extend him and trade him for that matter. Um, but uh, I w- I would be okay with that. I think they probably should, um, if only because um, extending someone isn't just for. Um, getting those years um, for yourself. Um, extending players can also be a really good way to, um, you know, trade them. So, for instance, um, in two years, if Solaire is still hitting 30 home runs and he's really good and the rebuild just hasn't, you know, quite gone the way that the Royals wanted to, um, they could still trade him because he's under contract for a few years for them. Um, the the most notable um, example of this is Zach Greinke. The Royals extended Zach Greinke even when they were bad and then they were still bad, but they had two years left on the deal and they were able to trade Zach Granke for Lorenzo Cain and Alcides Escobar. So I think 
I am on the, yeah, you probably should extend him side. Um, but if you don't extend him, you should at least trade him. Uh, letting him just sort of sit around and making a whole bunch of money just doesn't make any sense. But that's, you know, sort of the Royals' MO when it comes to rebuilds is just sort of, you know, stroll, wander. The other, uh, I guess, Royals news this month is it sounds like they're getting pretty close to bring Alex Gordon back on another uh, for another year. Gordon had kind of gone into this offseason saying he was 50-50 on coming back for the 2020 season. Uh, but Jeffrey Flanagan of MLB.com reports that the Royals are hoping to get him uh, signed uh, in before FanFest on January 24th. Uh, Gordon will be 36 years old next month. Uh, he would presumably be the starting left fielder in an outfield that would also include Whit Merrifield and uh, Under Dozier in right field. Of course, also in the outfield mix would be Brett Phillips, Bubba Starling, potentially Nick Heath, and down the line Khalil Lee. Sean, should Alex Gordon? Uh, I mean, we've kind of talked about this before, I think, but but just uh, yeah. what's your kind of stance on Alex Gordon coming back this year? No, like I said, God bless Alex Gordon, but I have no interest in him returning just simply because not that it wouldn't be great to see Alex Gordon play, but kind of two things. One, his legacy is written already. I don't know what he has to come back for. Someone mentioned, oh gosh, what was it? The Royals all-time home run. I, there was There's a goal that he's, there's like a, a milestone that he's not that far away from. Um, might be it's 300 home runs. I'm not sure. But, um, you know, does that really matter? And all these, I mean, are fans going to come out to see Alex Gordon hit 240-ish and play good defense? Or, you know, it was such a natural break. He signed his big deal, won a World Series, uh, won a gold glove last year, kind of came off a decent high. Obviously, his offense faded, but are we really interested in bringing him back just kind of for what purpose on a one year deal for what purpose? Um, not only is there playing time issues and maybe there isn't anybody else to really take his place necessarily. Uh, but you know, it's still money being spent on a guy who has again, really no future in Kansas city probably won't be a flippable asset to another team. I would rather have spent that money or whatever the hypothetical money that'll be say it's four million bucks i'd rather spend that on you know trying to find a bounce back candidate um that you could put in that field that you can look to flip at the deadline or find playing or make sure that's not blocking playing time for someone else so as like i said as much as i love alex gordon i i don't see the idea of bringing him back making sense really yeah and he, he's a 10-5 guy which means he'd have the right to veto any trade he's already kind of said that the royals are the only team oh, yeah. he wants to play right. for anyway so you know matthew you know, he's probably not blocking like a super high prospect, but I'd kind of like to see what Brett Phillips or can do. Maybe Bubba Starling and, and maybe even Nick Heath or Khalil Lee. Um, you know, what do you, what's kind of your stance on Alex Gordon coming back? Yeah, I, so every sort of move like this that the Royals do in a rebuild, um, it's, I, I don't like hate it. Uh, Alex Gordon came back, coming back is, is, I think it's fine. He's not going to be very expensive. Um, he's probably not blocking somebody of, you know, super value. Um, you know, I don't think Bubba Starling, you know, you saw him hit as, as well as, well as I did last year, which was not great. Uh, I think Phillips probably has some more upside. Uh, he's younger and he's had actually a better track record of hitting if that's pos- possible there. But, um, it, it's just sort of one of the examples of the Royals just sort of getting in their own way. Um, every year there's a couple of these things where I say, you know, individually this isn't so great, uh, but it's not so bad either. You know, it's fine, but they keep, keep doing these things. And if you have like three of these, you know, two or three of these things every year, 
that's how you don't have spots in your lineup for trying to see if someone is the next Whit Merrifield, right? Like you, you got to try that. You're going to be bad. Try, just try some people. And there's no, there's no upside for Alex Gordon. I would say if he comes back, I would like to see him in a role that he's not going to be in at all. He's going to be the starting left fielder, but I'd like to see him in a role that sort of lets him split time between left field and right field. Um, and maybe, first base and maybe a little bit of third base too you know he hasn't played that in a long time but well you know the Royals played Terrence score like legitimately for like I don't know 40 40 50 plate appearances last year um so you know why why not well if you're listening to this podcast you're probably a pretty big Royals fan but you may not know that the other sports team at the Truman Sports Complex is having quite a year as well the Kansas City Chiefs are in the AFC Championship game after a thrilling 51-31 win over the Houston Texans in the divisional round last week. And, of course, we want to kind of hop on the bandwagon of their success and talk about them for just a second. Uh, Vahe Gregorian of the Kansas City Star kind of he had a nice little article that kind of drew some parallels between the Chiefs and their run and the Royals' run in 2014 and 15. Of course, the Chiefs got to the AFC Championship game last year and lost in really heartbreaking fashion to the Patriots, which kind of reminds you a little bit of the the Royals getting to the Game 7 of the World Series in 2014, only to lose in heartbreaking fashion to a seasoned post-game performer in Madison Bumgarner. So, Sean, do you see a lot of parallels between the Chiefs and the Royals, and and how do you see the Chiefs kind of uh, ending the season? Uh, I mean, the parallels... (sighs) Well, first off, when you said the other team across the parking lot, I was thinking, Max, the Wizards don't play at Arrowhead Stadium anymore. <laughs> um, but, no, for parallels, I don't know. That seemed a little forced narrative. I mean, we're talking about the Royals lost in Game 7 of the World Series as opposed to whatever you want to call game blah, blah, blah of the well, you know the Super Bowl. Yeah, they, they didn't make the Super Bowl. The Chiefs didn't right, make the exactly. Super Bowl. Right, exactly. Um, and so that's a little different. And I would argue that any loss in the NFC championship game is heartbreaking uh, for the most part. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. I don't think that's perfectly great because the Royals, the 2014, 2015 Royals had a collection of, it was really a collection of, they had some very good players, Kane, Gordon, uh, Moustakis, but they didn't have a Mahomes. It's not like they had Mike Trout. The talent levels are different. I think the 14-15 Royals really were, at least in 14, they were underdogs. 15, yes, they won the division, and what they finished was the best record in, in, in the yeah, AL. Yeah. yeah, but I still think that they were somewhat underdogs in that sense because they didn't have just a ridiculously stacked roster like the Astros did this season or the Yankees. Um, so as opposed to the current Chiefs, which have you know one of the best tight ends in – football one of the best quarterbacks in football one of the best wide receivers in football uh one of the best play callers you know i mean they are truly not the underdogs they're the odds on favorite right now to win Mm -hmm. the super bowl um so no i don't think that's a great narrative but i mean i understand it's and i'm not trying to crap on journalism but that's a journalist thing that's that's something that you know gregorian has to do kind of to i don't know not to get people to read his paper but you know what i'm saying it's a good it's a good slant. It's a good angle to look at and try to draw a parallel, you know, and I, I don't fault them for that at all. Matthew, I know you're a fan of both the Chiefs and the Royals. As a fan, kind of watching the Chiefs make this run, and, and, and maybe the run will end this Sunday, maybe they'll, they'll go all the way, but how do you kind of feel as a fan as compared to, like, in 2014 and 15, watching the Royals go through their kind of magical run? 
Well, it's interesting. In 2014, um, the Royals sort of felt like they were playing, you know, with house money after the wildcard game. They were like, well, we broke the streak. You know, we did what we wanted to. We made the playoffs. We had a wild, wild card game. We're in the playoffs. Let's just see how it goes. So that's what 2014 felt like. Um, and I don't think the Chiefs really at any point have sort of felt like it. I think the Chiefs thing is that um, they've had just been totally snake bitten in the playoffs. You know, I they played a stat. They were at like one and eight at Arrowhead, like in the past, I don't know, 20 years or something, which is like ridiculous to win one playoff game and lose eight. They've just lost so many games in the playoffs. In crazy in ways, too. <laughs> in, yeah, in crazy ways, right? There was the Mariota pass back to himself. There was no punt game. There's just like oh, the, the Colts game where the Colts just came back and beat them. There's just like all of these ways that they've just lost in the playoffs so poorly. And I... I personally, you know, as as a fan and, you know, feeling just, you know, thinking emotion-wise here, you know, I think that when the Chiefs came back against the, um, you know, they came back this, this week. Who, I, I don't even remember who was playing. It was so fun. Uh, the Houston Texans? The Texans. Yeah. The Texans. Um, when they came back against the Texans and they just dominated it so thoroughly when in every other year there were, the Chiefs would have just sort of withered and, you know, it would have been yet another bad playoff loss. I I think that just sort of broke, you know, broke the, the playoff, like, uh, curse wide open. I, I don't think how you can look at the Chiefs and say, okay, their playoff curse is currently – uh, continuing because they scored 51 points in three quarters and came back from a 24 nothing deficit. I think that this year's Chiefs team feels like it can beat anyone, and I think that they're probably true. I think they have, like, Mahomes is the elite quarterback that every uh, every fan and every team, you know, drools of having uh, that doesn't, you know, if their team doesn't have one of the five, like, elite quarterbacks. And I think Patrick Mahomes is probably the best quarterback in football. If not that, then probably the top two or three at this point. And having a quarterback like that is just, that's really the secret sauce. Like you look at who's won the Super Bowls the last 15 years, it's been a lot of those quarterbacks. And I think once you have that quarterback, you know, and the, with the way that the Chiefs are playing right now, the way that they're feeling, you know, I, I think they're they're going to go all the way. Um, and to put it another way, do you think that Patrick Mahomes, who got mad and scored 51 points in three quarters, is going to let the Chiefs lose in the <laughs> AFC title game against the freaking Tennessee don't, Titans? You the think Titans that's are good. Don't, don't say that. The, the Titans are good, but they are not like – they don't have an elite, like, proven quarterback that Tom Brady was or an elite proven quote coach that Belichick was. Like, I, I just don't see it happening. I just – I don't see – a way that the Chiefs can can lose, um, or well, they can lose, but I, I, it just feels like you know that 2015 team, team did, you know, in the Royals, right? It just feels right, and I can't explain it. And I know that the Titans are good, and I know the Chiefs could very well lose, and they might lose, but it just feels right. Finally, you know what we were talking about at at work, which I thought was kind of funny, is that like for years everybody talked about kind of the patriots just like how they would just cakewalk into the super bowl essentially just everything broke their way but how how not bad would we be but how how like would it be like oh god of course the patriots did it if like they got the number two seed because another team lost and they also only had to play the five seed and the six seed (laughs) like if, if this was the patriots people would be up in arms about it right now yeah and it was it's what is funny though like i you know, you uh, you seem to be very confident about the Chiefs, and I think you know Patrick Mahomes is kind of a nice 
like security blanket in that he does you never feel like you're out of the game because of him. But just the expectations going into the postseason, I guess, are just so much different for me. Like the Royals, I never felt like, I, and, and perhaps in retrospect, I should have felt more pressure. But I never, you know, they were like you said, they're kind of underdogs. Even in 2015, they felt like underdogs because no one really believed that they were really that good. And it kind of felt like, you know, well, oh, hey, whatever happens this year is great because I just kind of thought they'd be a 500 team this year, you know. And you didn't really have time to kind of sit back and reflect and say, you know, actually, their window is pretty limited. Eric Hosmer is going to be gone in a couple of years. Lorenzo Cain could be gone in a couple of years. If we don't win this year, we're going to look back on Game 7 in 2014 and be really regretful that we didn't send Gordon and we didn't uh, win that game. Uh, you know, because that could have been a real, a real, you know, oh my gosh, we lost that game moment. Instead, the Royals just kind of stormed through the postseason again and, and win it all. Uh, you know, with the Chiefs, the expectations are so different because, like, I, I went into this season saying, man, the Chiefs, they they should win a Super Bowl this year. And now they have Mahomes, it's, it's like fans are already counting, like, how many Super Bowls are you going to win? They might not win a single, a single Super Bowl. I mean, Dan Marino was one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. He never won a Super Bowl. Uh, you know, I think he only made it to one. Uh, so there's no guarantee. I mean, like someone gets hurt, uh, someone, you just have a bad loss or someone, you know, another team gets better. Lots of things can happen to prevent you from winning a Super Bowl. but the expectations are so high that I just, I'm just so nervous that the the chiefs are going to blow their opportunity here. And I, Cause I feel like they have a golden opportunity and you know, you felt it when they got down 24, nothing to the Titans or to the Texans. Cause we knew the Baltimore already lost and it seemed like, okay, we have this really easy path. Let's go out and just do what we do, and we'll, we're going to the Super Bowl. And instead, they went out and laid an egg in the first quarter, and you're like, okay, this is how Chiefs football goes. We have it all laid out for us, and we get, we're going to blow it. But this yeah, I year think, was different. So, I mean, if you look at Drew Brees, you know, obviously a top 10, top 20 quarterback of all time, one Super Bowl, right? Just a single – I think he's only won one. Yeah, Aaron, Aaron, Rodgers, uh, Aaron Rodgers only has yeah. one, doesn't he? I mean, and so. he gets – and Brees has been screwed out – Every possible scenario to make the Super Bowl almost yearly, they get screwed out of making it. And yeah. so, I mean, stuff like that can happen. And I think when you're the you're the overwhelming favorite, you only have downside, right? Mike Trout, if he puts up a six win season, people will be like, "Man, Mike Trout sucks now. What happens?" But it's it's the expectations are so high that all he can do is disappoint. Essentially, same thing with the Chiefs. They if they don't win it, it's going to be a disappointment, which is a completely unfair um, expectation. Yeah. Yeah, well, hopefully they, they do come through this year. I mean, honestly, if they just made it to the Super Bowl, I'd be pretty happy. Uh, if they won it all, uh, that'd be amazing. And I, I do feel like we're close to a title here in the next couple of years. Hopefully this is the year, but uh, we'll have to, so we'll wait, have to see. Are the Titans the 2014 Chiefs or 2014 Royals? Oh, yeah, I guess they probably are. That's kind of a good comparison there, yeah. Because uh, they didn't look like a playoff team midseason, and then they kind of no. went on a run. Ryan Tannehill, I guess, is like Raul Abanya. <laughs> I don't know. And then who did they uh, – oh, where am I? Let's see. 2014, they took down the Orioles, who, are 90, who won 96 games that season. They took down yeah. the Angels first. They had 98 win Angels. Right, right. First. Yeah, so. With, I think, and they had to have been the one seed, right? They swept the Orioles, swept yeah. the Angels. Huh. Okay. Anyways. Well, let's hope that there's no, that parallel doesn't yeah. quite pan out either because the uh-huh. Royals went to the World Series and the Titans, I hope – I hope their run ends this Sunday. So <laughs> let's wrap things up with our Royals review review. Uh, Matthew, what do you got for us this week? All right. So this is a very simple Royals review review. You all can follow along and, um, you know, heed my advice. 
um, and and bear the uh, brunt of my wrath if you didn't. So it's been uh, kind of foggy uh, the last couple of days of this week. Um, certainly foggier than the normal here in the Kansas City metro. And I, in my commute to work, has have seen so many cars without their lights on, and I am just floored at at how dumb that is. Because if it's really foggy and you don't have your lights on, people can't see you. Uh, especially if you have like a gray car, which so many people do. You know, it's if you're going fast and you know someone stops in front of you, you switch in the next lane, and you don't see them because they don't have the lights on. You can't see very well. Yes, it doesn't help you see, but it helps everyone else see you. Please, for the love of God, turn on your lights. Thank you. <laughs> Old man yelling that young teenagers should get off his lawn. <laughs> what about you, Sean? Uh, I have, I've got two. I'll do a quick, the quick one is I, I just discovered, I saw it a while ago, but now I've just rediscovered it. The Disney plus fake, it's the watch with Disney Twitter account, um, which basically the at symbol is at watch with Disney. And basically it just goes through the Disney library and it just makes up funny versions of it. Like (laughs) monsters blink is one of it. And it's, uh, or like sitting on mat. It's just so funny. One of them is Herbie, Herbie goes ape. Um, which I think is hilarious, but anyways, it's just these fake titles and they edit the cover of the title of the box art. And anyways, it's hilarious. Um, like recess operation, Iraqi freedom is one. I I love this. I love this one. So anyways, uh, that, and I could talk for hours about this, but Max, I didn't know you're watching Halt and Catch Fire again. Um, this is the first time time I've watched. I'm I'm up to season three. Okay. So I, 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 I I picked it up a long time ago and haven't. I've dropped it for a while, but yeah. but I'm catching up yeah. season three. I uh, watched it when it first came out and loved it, and then I just decided to rewatch it. But I got to say, anybody who wants a really good show, Halt and Catch Fire, I've compared it to Breaking Bad a little too many times. It's not as gritty as Breaking Bad into the violence, but it's shot in a similar way where it's there's some quirkiness to it. There's But really, it's a bunch of flawed characters who let their flaws get the best of them, and then they get pushed away from each other, trying to live with their flaws and 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 get pushed to the edge of things. And it's kind of what will people do? It's just a fantastic series. Music is exceptional. Everything is great about it. Completely unknown directors too. Um, the two Chris's. So I think it's great, and I recommend it to to anybody. And yeah. all four seasons are on Netflix. Yeah, it's set in the '80s. It's the it's basically the, the computer industry and like the the early stages. Uh, and my dad was a computer programmer during that era. Oh. Uh, I remember he, he used to work down by Union Station in a building where, like, the entire room was computers, which right now, like, my phone has more computing power than that, that entire yeah. room now. But uh, but I anyway, I got him to watch the show, and he said, yeah, that's uh, that's exactly how it was back then. So yeah. it's good to know that yeah. it's pretty accurate as well. Uh, my my Royals review review this week is uh, I'm a big John Mulaney fan. John Mulaney, the stand-up comic who used to write on Saturday Night Live, and he has a new special on Netflix as well. It's called The John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch, and it's a kid show, which sounds very odd. And it takes like ten minutes when you're watching it uh, to get kind of past the what the hell am I watching here? But I think once you get past that, it's actually really funny and really endearing. It's um, <laughs> Whether it's ironic or or sincere, he kind of is very meta at the beginning says, if it's good, then it's sincere. But if it's uh, bad, then he's just going to say it's ironic. But it is, I think it actually is quite sincere. 
they have a lot of song and dance numbers. It's kind of like uh, Electric Company or Sesame Street, which they have little, little bits throughout. Um, but it does have like a cast of like 10 kids. They're really good singers and dancers. And then every once in a while, it'll cut and they'll have the interviews with the kids or other, other actors in the show. And they ask them about like real, real questions about like, what's your biggest fear? And like, what do you, uh, you know, what do you want out of life? And um, the kids give like really revealing answers. Um, so I, anyway, it's, it's, it's the, the, the numbers are really catchy. There's a couple of really awesome cameos from people that you would not expect to see in a kid show or a comedy. But uh, if you, if you're a Mulaney fan or if you just kind of like absurd, um, but kind of sincere stuff, uh, I don't know, check it out on Netflix. I thought it was pretty funny. Uh, and have, definitely check out John Mulaney's stand-up act. Have either of you guys seen I Think You Should Leave? Yes. I've, I've not seen all the episodes, but I've seen enough that oh. I get all the memes on Twitter now. So good. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, that's another one that's in that similar vein of the Mulaney. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not a kid show. but No, it's similar. very much in that style of humor, yeah. Yeah. We're like, oh, is no. this funny or is this just, just really awkward? <laughs> and uh, some of yeah. the, yeah, it's, it's the, 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 there's a lot that doesn't, that doesn't hit and there's some kind of parts where it sags but when it does hit it's very very fun well that'll do it for us this week thanks again to Sean and Matthew for being on the show and thanks to all our readers and listeners for visiting our site and we'll talk to you next time